Hey, welcome to this episode of Light 'em Up. We take a deep dive on the criminal justice system, crime scene investigation, and leadership. We enlighten, educate, and empower others with the truth. Like it or not, the truth disturbs, the truth divides, but ultimately, the truth delivers. Hey, I'm your host, Phil Rizzo. I'm the principal owner of Rizzo's Protective Group. We are a security consulting firm that handles and manages high-risk behaviors, headquartered out of Akron, Ohio, and with offices in the Bronx, New York, and Cerro Alto, the Dominican Republic. Hey, as we we put the ball on the tee to line things up for kickoff. We speak life, health, and prosperity over each and every one of you, and we want to thank you for joining us. Hey, hey, welcome back. We welcome you back for another of what we hope to be a compelling, investigative, and educational episode of Light 'em Up, filled with, as always, nothing but our best investigative journalism. We've got a lot of exciting things going on behind the scenes. We got special guests coming up for you in the coming months and on this specific episode as well. Tonight, as we promised, we shed the light of the truth on what we feel is a murder, not a suicide. Tonight, our special guest is Jana Gajewski Lodiger. She is the sister of the deceased who is the subject of this episode. Here's the fact pattern. On Monday, February 9th, 2023, Jana's sister, Crystal McCrory Jones, was found dead in her home from what was reported to be an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head in the small, sleepy town of Oak Grove, Louisiana. Oak Grove is the parish seat of West Carroll Parish in northeastern Louisiana. The population was 1,441 according to the 2020 U.S. Census. Now, as you may remember from a previous episode of Light 'em Up, specifically from Season 2, Episode 6, entitled Blood, Bullets, Body Bags, and Toe Tags, an in-depth conversation with the Summit County Medical Examiner's Office Forensic Investigator Supervisor Amy Schaefer on the cause and manner of death and crime scene investigations. Now, in that episode, we learned that the classifications of manners of death are natural, accident, suicide, homicide, undetermined, and pending. It's important to point out that the manner of death is determined by the medical examiner. Now, we learned in the process of investigating this case that the killing of one's wife is called usoricide, a usoricide, U-X-O-R-I-C-I-D-E, usoricide. Now, if truth be told, we've all witnessed from countless murder mysteries on TV, many, but not all, spousal homicides are spontaneous crimes of passion that result from momentary rages arising from the heat of circumstances rather than from a fixed and prolonged desire and determination to kill over time. However, in some cases, that is the case. While we certainly are not judge nor jury, and we firmly believe here at Light 'em Up that all persons are to be cloaked in the presumption of innocence until found to be otherwise guilty in a court of law. That maxim applies here today and will always be part of Light 'em Up. 
Now, based on our examination and the preponderance of the information that has been shared with us during our pre-production phase for this episode, we are very suspicious about this finding of suicide versus what it looks more to us like as a homicide, more specifically, a eusoricide. Now, be certain in these facts. Our mission, as always, is to be true to the truth and shed the bright light of the truth on every topic we touch. Giving a voice to the voiceless, in this case, Crystal McCrory Jones and the suspicious manner of her premature and untimely death. Now, I gotta tell you, from the moment this case was brought to my attention, this case has stunk to high heaven. For far too many aspects of this case simply do not line up. Its fact pattern gets even more fishy as it unravels. And collectively, in our pre-production meetings, we felt it warranted much, much more investigation. Now this is just one installation of a series of episodes that it will require in order to do justice to this case. Among the litany of things that we found to be odd were the fact that there wasn't a single solitary news story about Crystal's alleged suicide, nor a mention of her passing in this sleepy small town. We ask out loud, why not? Her husband, Tony Joe Jones, was a former employee of the West Carroll Parish Sheriff's Department, the department who, quote unquote, investigated Crystal's death. The fact pattern shows that he changed his story regarding his whereabouts on the day of her death. Also, Google timeline location records put him near their home at the time of Crystal's death. Her death was immediately ruled a suicide. Now, did Jones's close friendship and ties with the investigating agency influence that decision? The coroner initially changed the time of death from 10.35 a.m. to 5.05 p.m. Now look, the facts are the facts. No matter who you are or what you do in life, if your spouse has been murdered, you can expect to be a suspect. I know, I know, as unfair as it may seem for those who are truly innocent, many police investigations target a spouse right from the start. This never happened in this case. And again, out loud, we ask, why not? Tony Jones sat for his recorded interview two hours after Crystal's body was found. Upon her sister's death, Jana's family was actively denied an investigation by the Louisiana State Police, even after a spent shell casing was found by her husband nine days after the death of his wife. Oddly enough, and pretty doggone quickly, Tony Jones had his wife's body cremated against the wishes of the family, which only served to destroy any and all potential physical evidence. Also in this case, there are salacious charges of womanizing and extramarital affairs, family issues, and even a keen desire on the part of the husband to get his hands on some potential insurance money. Homicide traditionally has been a matter between family, acquaintances, and friends. Typically, if you've been murdered, the person who did it either had an intimate relationship with you or knew you to some extent. Walking up and killing perfect strangers, like in the infamous Son of Sam case, is not very common, thankfully. Given the reasonable expectation that one would have more reason to kill an acquaintance than a stranger, this fact shouldn't arrive at anyone as being particularly surprising. As we mentioned, tonight we have the pleasure to speak with Jana Gajewski-Latigar, the sister of the deceased. 
Jana, hey, we are honored to sit and talk with you about your dear sister, Crystal. To start, for sure, we extend our deepest heartfelt condolences to you and your family on the terrible loss of your sister. We welcome you to the show. Jana, welcome to Light Em Up. Hi, Phil. How are you? Uh, we're doing good. We're happy to have a chance to sit down and talk with you. It's an honor for us to talk to you, and uh, we're looking forward for you to have the opportunity to share your sister's story. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. We want to know how are you, and as it relates to our focus of the murder of your sister, tell us where you are emotionally as we approach the one-year anniversary of her death. Um, Phil, I think I'm more in the angry phase of grief just because I haven't been able to say anything for the past year and I'm, I'm having to keep her, her story uh, kind of in the background and so now I'm really ready to tell her, her story and her side of the story. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. In doing a little bit of the pre-production research, I believe I saw a photo of your sister smiling standing next to a handsome young man. Does she happen to have a son? Um, and if yes, how is he doing at the present as well um she actually has two sons she has a 19 year old son who who's in the navy i talked to him some he's he's doing okay but two weeks prior to her death she actually found out she was going to be a grandmother for the very first time she has a 26 year old son who lives in new york he's struggling his his son is three months old he was born just three months ago I see. I see. Wow. That, that is definitely difficult for sure. Well, we'll definitely keep him in our thoughts as we go forward. To dive in to the fact pattern of this case, I'm pretty sure the letter and the petition to reopen this case arrives as a very, very sore spot for Sheriff Scott Matthews and the district attorney of Oak Grove, Louisiana. I guess their name is uh, Penny Ducier, something along those lines. Penny Ducier. That's how I pronounce it, yes. Okay. Why don't you, for our listeners, bring us up to speed. Where might the efforts be in trying to reopen an investigation? Um, I had a call yesterday with an investigator who is pressuring the attorneys to go ahead and file a civil litigation suit, not only against the husband, but also against the, the police for corruption. Um, we have three weeks to get a civil litigation suit filed against someone because you only have one year for civil, um, you have two years for, for criminal. So she's pushing them now. We should hear, actually hear something by Monday. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. When the pressure is on, a lot of times people are forced to act. So good. That's that's good news. Now, as best as you can recollect, or to the extent that your sister may have shared with you directly, at any time had you observed or had any direct knowledge of any domestic violence or abuse or any evidence of IPV, for example, intimate partner violence perpetrated against your sister by her husband? I didn't see or witness or hear about any uh, physical abuse. There was some verbal abuse. Um, I'll give you an example. Tony was my sister's fourth husband, and he would say things like, I get the fat version of you. Um, the other husband's got the skinny version of you. That was one of the statements that he made quite frequently to her. And soon up to her death, probably within a month before her death, saw pictures of my sister. She was not a heavy lady at all. She was actually a normal weight. And so that was, he used that often. I get the fat version of you, the other husband's got the skinny version of you. Yeah, that's that's very hateful, very hurtful too, to say. Yeah. Not something you should say to your wife at all. 
How long had the two been married? And to your knowledge, had the relationship been acrimonious to any degree? Um, they were married for five years. He had a daughter, a minor daughter, that caused some tension in the marriage because of some actions that she had with sending, um, I'm not going to give her name, but sending some nude photos to grown men. And my sister didn't feel like he disciplined her properly uh, for, for doing that. This happened with a week prior to her death. There was a really huge argument about that. I'm also going to mention that they were in some financial hardships huge financial hardships and also he was into the swinging lifestyle we found out um, I'll, I'll talk about that later that my sister was not a part of that we found out after her death that she found out about I see. Okay. Now, during their marriage, had there ever been any police reports filed? I know you mentioned that uh, there really wasn't much to any physical violence. You mentioned there were verbal uh, altercations. But had there been any police reports filed against her husband for acts of violence during their marriage or at any other time in the past? Um, No. And for the majority of their marriage, they lived in Oak Grove, Louisiana, where he was a police officer there for an amount of time. I'm not quite sure how long he was a police officer there, but he was a police officer there. So um, I'm not quite sure even if there had been an act of violence, if she would have felt comfortable filing any kind of reports just because he did work there. Yeah, I understand. That complicates things a lot. When uh, when I learned that he was a previous employee uh, in law enforcement and that was the agency that was investigating the case, I, I, that was a red flag right. for me. I do want to add that in a previous marriage, though, he had had restraining orders for choking his spouse or his uh, girlfriend or whatever. We were able to recover that. So. Okay. That just gives you a little bit of background. Sure, sure, absolutely. Every bit of information helps, absolutely. Now, people know where they were when, for example, President Kennedy was shot and when the space shuttle Challenger exploded. Now, while I was preparing for this interview, I got to thinking the death of one sibling, I would think, would be right up there with such absolutely devastating news. Can you share with us where you were when you were notified of your sister's death and who notified you? Was it law enforcement, the county coroner, whom? Um, I actually just got off of work and had come into my house and I got a phone call from her husband and I didn't particularly care for him at the time and it was from his work phone so I ignored it and then immediately afterwards I got a phone call from my oldest brother and he was the one that asked if I was sitting down and he was the one that told me that something had happened and he broke the news to me. I was at my house. Wow. That's that's terrible. That really is. A person can never be prepared for information like that. That's no, I didn't. I didn't believe it at the time. And I told him and my twin brother, I have a twin brother, to stay where they were. And I immediately dropped what I was doing and rushed over to her house. My worst fear was that my, my mother would get a phone call saying that her daughter had died. So I, I told my brother to stay close to her in case she got a phone call. Sure. Um, so I went by myself to go to the crime scene um, just because I didn't want them to have to be there. Absolutely. So, that was hard. Oh, I could not imagine. I really could not. As we dig into the fact pattern of this case, do you think there was a rush to judgment in determining the manner of death? And if so, why so? Yes, actually, in the transcript of the recording that they did with Tony Jones in his interview, one hour and 40 minutes from the time that her body was found, they called it a self-inflicted gunshot wound. They had ruled it a suicide before an autopsy was performed before the crime scene had been investigated, before barely before the coroner got her body off of the premises, it was ruled a suicide. Um, we have the recordings, we have the transcription of the recording, it was ruled a self-inflicted gunshot wound. 
within one hour and 40 minutes of the time the body was found. Wow. That is a record. That is a land yeah. speed record determination. I tell you that, that makes it all the more fishy, if you ask me. Yes, yes. As I was reading through some information, can you share with us, how did you obtain the laptop that belonged to your sister? It sounds like it may have been a tactical error on Tony's part if he simply gave it to you. Um, it was absolutely a tactical error on his part. I was very standoffish after her death. I guess you could call it denial. I just, I couldn't believe that there was no suicide note. She had two sons that she loved dearly and neither one of them got a suicide text. They didn't get a note. Um, so he initially thought that I wanted the laptop to find a suicide note. The funny part was he didn't know where the laptop was initially. And if you're looking for a suicide note, if you told me that you had looked everywhere for a suicide note, then you sh should initially look in a laptop or in a cell phone. So it took him a little while to find the laptop. It was at the karate studio. But he gave it to me, and then I coached the password out of him. He first couldn't remember the password, um, and then he slowly gave it to me. And when I logged into that laptop is when, and we'll go into that in a little bit, but uh, she had logged into his Google account instead of hers. I see. I see. Piggybacking along those same lines, to the extent that you're able to, or to the extent that you're willing to share with our listeners, what other evidence did you uncover on your sister's computer? So we're going to start with like the login, username, and passwords for multiple websites, including all the dating websites you can think of. Um, his login for his job, uh, West Carroll Parish Sheriff's Department, where they said he was no longer an employee, but his work credentials were still signed in. Um, he did a Google search for, quote, when is an appropriate time to date after the death of a spouse four days after her death? And then we have the Google timeline location records that were completely contrary to the initial initial police reports that had him passing by their residence at the time of death, which was the Google timeline data that we'll talk about. Yeah, that's coming up next. You kind of gave me a perfect segue into our next question. I want you to talk to us about the Google timeline data and in the investigation, were there any efforts to try to place Tony Jones's whereabouts in conjunction with the scene of the crime? So initially there was a police report that said his whereabouts could be accounted for um, the entire day that he was at a school called Forest High School working all day. But that would mean that he did not pass by their house at any point during that day. When my brother and I were meeting with the DA and it's in a, re a recorded meeting, we read the police report and we were denied a copy of it because my brother said that the police report was hot garbage. And I quote him, hot garbage, because it was not true. So we were denied a copy of that. The next police report we, we see says that he had actually came to Bastrop, which is the town over, and puts him passing by their house and coincides with the Google timeline data that we gave them. So they took the data that we gave them and put it into a police report to try to say that he was working in Bastrop that day. We'll talk about that later on when we talk about the time of death. But the DA said it didn't matter if he knew that she was dead because she died instantly, you know, and that was recorded. I see. That's very interesting. That really is. As education is always a key pillar of Light 'em Up. In the criminal justice process, the legal term mens rea refers to 
mental criminal intent. And the literal translation from Latin is guilty mind. So mens rea is the state of mind statutorily required in order to convict a particular defendant of a particular crime. So my question is, do you think the fact that two days prior to your sister's death and the ring doorbell camera being turned off is evidence of pre-planning and conspiracy to commit this crime on the part of her husband, maybe? Alone, it may be a coincidence, but with all the other evidence, it shows it to be a vital part. There were multiple emails saying that the ring camera had been turned off. I found it in his trash folder, and his trash folder, it was linked to his email address about the ring doorbell camera. When we brought that up to the state police, they said that the only person that could have access to that would be the parish, the same thing that would be a county, the parish police, and they would not invite them in. So the efforts to recover any footage from that um, and it being disconnected was just fell to the wayside. I see. I see. Did the Ring Doorbell Company, were they in any way notified about the... They were, Go ahead. They were, not, they were not notified. They didn't even try to notify them. I see. I see. Now, for our criminal justice and forensic science scholars who are required to tune in as part of their curriculum of their coursework, we stress the fact that an investigation is an art. It's an art form. And it's imperative to remember these essentials when conducting any investigation of any subject or subject matter. Keep in mind the acronym TAROT, T-A-R-O-T. Tarot, just like the tarot card that you've seen in movies that people put out on the table and read a person's future. Now, T-A-R-O-T, that card that you've seen, helps to spell out the essential aspects of any investigation. For example, you must be thorough, that's the letter T, following up on all leads to their logical conclusion and focus on corroboration of all key investigative findings. Following that, you must be accurate in your process, that's the letter A. The credibility of a source, whether it be human, physical, or electronic evidence, or the result of observation or surveillance, must be accurate and supported by the evidence. We come to the letter R in the word tarot, T-A-R. The information must be relevant. There must be relevance of the information, considering a wide spectrum and depth of details without becoming bogged down, confusing the facts of the case, or obscuring the truth. Now, as we work our way through this acronym, you must remember to remain objective. T-A-R-O in tarot. You must remain objective, carefully avoiding the interjection of any prejudice. You must investigate all the facts in a timely manner. That's the letter T. T-A-R-O-T. You have to complete this process of investigating quickly, but without being sloppy or careless in doing so, while all the while resisting any pressure to either rush to judgment or delay the case, which would damage the quality of the evidence and jeopardize the ultimate resolution. Now, let's focus our attention on the death certificate in your sister's death. Initially, the time of death was listed as being on or about 10.35 a.m. It was changed to 5.05 p.m., a seven-hour or so time gap, time differential. That's a significant time gap. Do you think the facts were massaged a little bit to aid Tony Jones's narrative? Oh, without a doubt, and the coroner has never been questioned about why that time of 10.35 a.m. was typed into his report 
and then the time of 5.05 p.m. was crossed out and handwritten into his report. He's never been questioned about that. I see. I see. Wow. This coroner has a lot of explaining to do, I would imagine. I would imagine. Yes. Now, to your knowledge, did anyone ever question or investigate the details listed in the initial police report from the first officer who arrived on the scene and located your sister's body? No. What they did was they took the information that I gave them and they took it and they plugged it into uh, a police report to rubber stamp Tony Jones' narrative of what happened that day to match his interrogation word for word. It's almost the police report and his accounts of what happened that day are word for word. They never investigated any of that. I see. It's a sloppy, sloppy, terrible job. Really, that is. Speak to us about the accusation lodged against you that alleged that you forged your sister's time of death on her death certificate. Who made that allegation? Okay, so on March the 21st, uh, 2023, I reached out to Sheriff Scott Matthews through text messages because I had to obtain her death certificate through the state because her husband would not give me one of the five copies issued through the funeral home for whatever reason. And so I filed, as her sister, I filed for my own copy. Once it came in the mail and I saw the time of death listed, um, her actual time of death was 11 a.m., which coincided with the Google timeline location of him passing by her house. Scott Matthews uh, agreed to call me. It was on a Sunday afternoon. If it's okay, I'd like to read a transcription of that recorded meeting. Sure. Just to give an idea. Okay, I stated that uh, his phone was pinging there at the house, not necessarily in his vehicle. It's just that he told us that he was at Forest High School all day. So the difference in the timeline on where it pinged his phone at Sonic at Walmart, he didn't make it to Forest High School until around noon. So I guess that's just our main concern was that, you know, we had to pay for the death certificate. He didn't turn one over to us. The time of death was the time he was passing by that house. And I'm not meaning Matthews immediately interrupts me. There is no time of death. And if you're looking at a death certificate that's got a time of death, there is. There is absolutely, absolutely no way that anybody could put an exact time of death. I don't care who they are, and I don't mind telling you that. That is certainly, certainly, there is no way they can make a determination. Tell me, tell me, what time is it on that death certificate? I respond, 11 o'clock. Matthews responds, and who and who would have put 11 o'clock? Who put that on there? Yeah. I respond, I just ordered it off the Vita check. He responds, saying, that is absolutely false. I'm not sure what you're trying to pull over on me, lady, and I hate to be talking to you in this type of voice. There is absolutely no way I can line up 10 professionals that are in the same business. All 10 of them are going to tell you there is no way within a reasonable amount of time that somebody can say she died at 11 o'clock. And I'll stop there. He said that he didn't know what I was trying to pull on him. But there was no way that 10 professionals lined up to say she died at 11 o'clock. I didn't put the time of death on there. It was put on there by a professional. Someone trained in science. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how a civilian could a doctor... Uh, official document anyways it would it would show it would show there would be issues with its presentation that's that's ridiculous that really is rude and unprofessional on his part to say the least along those same lines do you think the fact that this happened in the deep south and a very small rural sleepy town where maybe you have a small police department that perhaps is sparsely staffed with officers that might like to get paid but might might not be so keen on doing too much work or ruffling feathers, you know, maybe that helped to facilitate or aid with the cover up at all, you think maybe? Um, without a doubt, I have no doubt in my mind that they 
think that they're unstoppable or untouchable, and that's coming from the state police, that a lot of the small towns, especially in backwoods Louisiana, they, they think that they're a whole state of their own. Yeah, yeah. It leaves a lot to be desired, the uh, quality of law enforcement in some jurisdictions in, in the Deep South. It really does. As we were looking through some initial evidence, in what dollar amount was the insurance policy written for, and was Crystal's husband able to actually collect on the insurance policy written in your sister's name? So it was a $63,000 group life insurance policy, and he was not able to collect on it because she had only been back at work at that particular state farm for approximately three weeks before her death. So she was not eligible for the group term life insurance policy yet for the family. And he actually not only called about it the day after her death, but he went up to the state farm inquiring about it again and had to be told no twice that she did not qualify for a $63,000 policy. Um, so he immediately thought he was going to get $63,000. I see. Yeah. Well, well, that's good that he didn't get that money. That's a good thing. Now, you've already laid out for us in crystal clear uh, details that there really was no investigation whatsoever. So I, I pretty much have the answer to this question, but I want to ask it to you anyways, because it's important because in normal investigations where a gunshot is at issue, there's something called gunshot residue or GSR. You can do a wipe test that detects the presence of distinctive chemicals that are deposited on a person's skin or clothing or other nearby surfaces when a gun is fired. Now, GSR test results are considered reliable and should be admitted into evidence, keeping in mind that gunshot residue can be removed by actions such as washing hands, wiping clothing, or brushing it off. So the absence of residue does not prove that a person did not recently fire a gun. So my question for you is, because a gunshot was involved, were gunshot residue tests ever conducted on the hands or clothes of Crystal's husband on the day of her death? No, actually, there was no gunshot residue test done on either of them. I see. I see. Wow. Wow. That's pretty pitiful. That really is. You know, only the most loving and glowing things have been said about Crystal from what we were able to uncover. For example, a lady by the name of Lauren Bridges said, She was a beautiful girl. I didn't know her long, but I will always remember that sweet smile. And it's true, she, she had a lovely smile and a sweet and gentle face. Nancy Lowry said, Crystal has a beautiful family. I've known Crystal for over 22 years. Crystal was a one-of-a-kind lady. She went on to say, my daughter Stacy lived with Crystal for over a year. There's no better mother than Crystal. She kept everyone's spirit lifted. Crystal is one-of-a-kind. She will never be forgotten. She goes on to close by saying, May our Heavenly Father wrap his loving arms around each member of the family with love, Nancy Lowry. The fact of the matter is, is your sister was loved. Myra Williamson asked, What three words best describe Crystal and why? She answered directly and succinctly, A great mom. So we pose the same question to you. What three words best describe Crystal and why? She was meticulous. She had, she had a reason for why she did everything. Um, she gave a gift and it came from the heart. Uh, meticulous was the first word that came to mind. Uh, she was kind-hearted. That goes back to everything that she did. She did it for a reason. And then upbeat. Um, she had the most upbeat personality. She loved life and she loved everybody in it. 
Wow, that's beautiful. That really is. Wow. She definitely was loved. It's a hard topic to have to talk about, I'm sure. It really is. Has her husband, Tony, had any contact with you or the family since your sister's death? He reached out to me in an attempt to collect money from a GoFundMe account that he asked me to set up to pay for her funeral. But once I found out that he was having her body cremated against the family's wishes, I refused to pay for it. So he tried to file suit against me through GoFundMe. But once I explained the situation to the legal department of GoFundMe, they backed off. And we, uh, we still have not gotten the ashes of my sister. She still does not have a resting place. Her headstone sits in my backyard. We still haven't been able to bury her yet. He holds her ashes uh, basically as hostage. Wow. Um, wow. How cruel. Yeah. That's unthinkable to do. Even though this is just the first installation on this episode and our plan is to, like I mentioned, have you back again and again, as long as it takes to add lift to the wings of this story, you know, and we're going to talk about some more things with the time that we have, because there's a couple other things I want to dig into in more detail. But at this moment in your mind, is there anything that we may not have asked specifically that you'd like to address in this particular moment about your sister, her death, etc.? There's one thing that sticks out from the crime scene photos, because I did have to look at them, that I want to make sure that people know it's not just a grieving family. And we had a look at a picture of a pillow that was placed over her head that had a gunshot through the pillow. Um, that you don't see people who commit suicide shooting themselves through a pillow that's placed over their, head, over their face. Once we saw that crime scene photo is when we realized that this was not a suicide. And that's what I want people to know is there's so much more to the case that we'll get into in other episodes that make us not just a grieving family. It's just a poorly, poorly investigated suicide. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's that's good evidence that should have been considered because there definitely would have been gunshot residue on that pillow. Yeah. For sure. Now, by sharing the fact pattern surrounding your sister's death and the details of her life and legacy, what is it that you hope to accomplish in doing so? I hope to get her side of the story told. And I've realized that there, story, that there are stories like my sister's in small little towns all across America and families desperately looking for answers, uh, for closure and for someone to just listen. But there's stories just like hers in little tiny towns all across America of police departments not doing their jobs. Oh, yeah. I can I can attest to that. There are a lot of jurisdictions where you have police officers just calling it in, phoning it in, and not doing the necessary or requisite work. I can, I can yeah. guarantee you that. Uh, probably in every state in the union. Uh, we're working a case also right now about a young man who was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. He did nothing wrong, but he's been in prison for four years. So it, it goes on all day, every day. People might not think it does they might not want yeah you're right it does they have their heads buried in the sand but it happens all the time it really does can you speak to the fact why you thought there wasn't a single solitary news story about crystal's quote alleged suicide nor a mention of her passing in this sleepy small town we you know this is one of the questions that we want to ask out loud why not to the people who i hope hear this podcast episode why wasn't there any news story about this in such a small town where i'm sure everyone knows everyone and news travels at the speed of I'm still dumbfounded and appalled that there was no news story. She was a business owner in that small town. She owned her and her husband owned a karate studio that 
they had the cry studio for all the children in the town, and it, it closed the day she died. He closed it, but that alone should have wanted a story in the local newspaper, and it didn't. There was no story told, and the only thing I can think of is they wanted the story to go away. The same reason why they didn't invite the state police in and didn't practice their own protocol and invited the state police in and another murder suicide that turned out to be a murder a month later in a small town but refused to let the state police in on her case they just wanted it to go away wow. and that's all i can think yeah of why no news story yeah do they have a local news channel in the area they have they do they have they have the local news but they also have this um newspaper called the west carroll gazette and i subscribe to it just thinking maybe maybe something would come out in, in a, her, uh, her obituary, her full obituary wasn't even posted. Um, it wasn't posted until after the fact of her services. Um, one little tiny two, one to two sentences and that was it. It didn't list her husband, it didn't list her siblings or anything like that, like the full obituary did. No, no story in there and they post everything in there. That's where I get most of my information from. I see. Wow. That just, I tell you, that is fishy. That really is. It just it just doesn't add up. It really doesn't. Can you speak directly about Tony changing his story regarding his whereabouts on the day of her death? They asked him his whereabouts. They knew that he had come to Bastrop to the to small little town that I live in right next door the day of her death. But they left that out of the initial police report. They didn't want us knowing that he had passed by their house that day. So the police left it out of the initial police report, the truth. And he told us the same story he told the police initially that he was at a forest high school all day working, which would, would not have put him passing by their house. And I think it was just a ploy that we wouldn't think that he was by their house that day. But it turns out he was passing by their house at her exact time of death. And that's why the civil litigation is so important, so that we can subpoena phone records to see who he talked to, where was he, where was his phone at, at the exact location. And what time was he there? What time did he pass by the house? Did he stop? Yeah. They lived off of a main state highway, so it would be easy to track. Yeah, those are all important facts. Also, speak to us, if you would, about the shell casing that was found by her husband nine days after the death of, of his wife, your sister. So my brother was sitting at home, and my oldest brother, and he gets a, he gets a phone call from Tony Jones, her husband, and it's almost like he won the lottery, and he tells him that he found the spent shell casing from the bullet that had killed my sister nine days after she had died. It was on a makeup table. We were unaware that the casing hadn't been found. Come to find out that he left the crime scene of a, what was supposed to be a suicide of a single gunshot wound um, without finding the shell casing. No one ever told us they didn't find the shell casing. He apparently called the police and they came and got the shell casing. And the way we, the way we found out about the shell casing was we went in with the sheriff's department and we asked them about the crime scene photos, if it was in crime scene photos. The sheriff said it was a an oversight on their part. They don't understand how five sets of eyes had missed it, but it was clear as day the shell casing was in a crime scene photo. The shell casing was not in a crime scene photo, which is why I initially looked at them. You can see the glare off of a makeup bottle or something in a crime scene photo. You cannot see the shell casing. It is not in a crime scene photo, which is why we went forward to the district attorney's office, where she shot down everything that we brought forward to them, but it was found nine days later. To make it even worse, they didn't find a projectile, which is the front part of the bullet, until like, the next day, the following day. They left the crime scene without finding any of that. Jeez, this is this story really—it gets worse and worse. This is like it gets worse. This is like one of the worst 
It's like uh, the bad news bears. It really is. But this happens, like like we said, like we agreed. The police just don't do their job effectively in many, many cases. And it's sad. It really is. Because if you mess up the evidence, then the evidence won't be there later on. You know, I mean. It's gone forever. Yeah, yeah. And the fact of the matter that he had Crystal's body cremated. I yes. mean, that's. Yes. Yeah, I called, I want to say, 29 lawyers including district attorneys across the state of Louisiana, lawyers, um, my local sheriff, the sheriff of West Carroll Parish. I called 29 different entities to get an injunction to stop the cremation because the shell casing was found. The shell casing was found nine days after her death. Before her funeral, we had, to, we had to wait because her son had to come in from New York. And I tried to get an injunction to stop the cremation because he, he had found the shell casing nine days later. It was not enough to stop the cremation. I had no rights as her sister. That's absolutely ridiculous. Maybe that's a law we need to get put in place through this whole process. Right. That the family should have some type of say-so. Yes. So as we get ready to wrap up this particular episode of Light em Up, if you look statistically at the female murder victims and victim offender relationship from 2021 the percentage of females murdered by an intimate partner was five times higher than that for males in anticipation for this episode we gathered statistics from the bureau of criminal justice statistics or bjs which can be found online at www.bjs.ojp.gov and those statistics stated that the female murder victims and victim offender relationship statistics from 2021 showed that of the estimated 4,970 female victims of murder and what they term non-negligent manslaughter in 2021, the data reported by law enforcement agencies indicate that 34% were killed by an intimate partner. Now, by comparison, about 6% of the 17,970 males murdered that year were victims of intimate partner homicide. Overall, 76% of female murders and 56% of male murders were perpetrated by someone known to the victim. About 16% of female murder victims were killed by a non-intimate family member. For example, a parent, grandparent, sibling, an in-law, and other family member compared to 10% of male murder victims. A larger percentage of males, 21%, were murdered by a stranger than females, which were 12%. Now, the facts show that for one out of every three male murder victims and one out of every five female murder victims, the relationship between the victim and the offender was unknown. It's become clear that the home is a dangerous place. More violence occurs there than outside its doors. Now perhaps we cling to the old Ozzie and Harriet notions of the idealized family with good reason for sure. Maybe the image of the wise and devoted husband and wives lovingly nurturing one another and their attractive, courteous, obedient, and charming children through the typical stages of the life cycle provides us with an important source of comfort. Maybe that's something we may not have had ourselves but something we may have always desired. Most people view the family as a center of warmth, affection, acceptance, and happiness that serves as a refuge from the competitive, stressful, and hostile outside world. Crystal McCrory Jones, May 17, 1979 to February 9, 2023. 
May her memory be a blessing to all who were fortunate to know her and to love her. We're so happy to have had a chance to sit down and talk with you, Jana. We're grateful to you, and we want you to know that you always have a home here with us on Light em Up. Whenever there's a case update or when there's anything that you want to share with the public, you can always count on us. We are a forum for you to share the important factors in this case. So we want you to know that for sure, and we thank you from the bottom of our heart for your time in sharing this information and we're going to talk more like we said a couple times during our broadcast here this is only the first of several installations and we always like to leave with our guest having the last opportunity to say what's ever on their heart and what's ever on their mind so i turn the mic over to you thanks for your time I can't thank you enough for having me and for making this a lot easier um, to talk about than I thought it was going to be. Um, this has been my pleasure to be on the show. To all our listeners, we want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of Light em Up. Hey, I'm Phil Rizzo, and you've got Light em Up. Hey, I want to thank my friends at Innisfree for their promotional products and underwriting. Their fresh-squeezed, hydrating green tea loaded with amino acids and antioxidants help replenish and neutralize skin for that natural glow. Want to know the best part? Their tea is organically grown and chosen for skincare from 3,301 Korean native green tea varieties. The winning 1-2-3 punch combination consists of the youth enhancing serum with black tea. Then you just dap, 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 a little bit of the eye serum underneath your eyes. And finally, the enhancing cream. Oh my goodness. Like Muhammad Ali used to say, I'm pretty, I'm still pretty. They offer innovative beauty solutions for men, also powered by the finest natural ingredients responsibly sourced from Korea's pristine Jeju Island. Their proprietary extraction methods preserve the purity and potency of these wholesome ingredients from plant to bottle to your skin, offering advanced formulas that safely address all skin concerns without the use of harmful chemicals and preservatives. With the wonders of nature at the heart of Innisfree, they take care to preserve and protect the environment in all that they do. We want to thank our friends at Innisfree for their promotional products and underwriting of Light 'em Up. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to us on YouTube and Instagram at Rizzo's Protective Group. We're very excited about being ranked 10th out of the top 35 criminal justice podcasts as ranked and listed by Feedspot. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to Feedspot at www.feedspot.com. And please, por favor, per favore, visit our friends at https colon slash slash newsly.me. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android. It picks up web articles about the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable. You can browse articles from topics you choose and start playing. Hey, stop scrolling, start listening. You can follow any topic as specific as you like from sports, science, to Bitcoin. It'll find you the latest articles and read them to you. Hey, it's as easy as that. And to top it off, they have podcasts as well. Explore trending podcasts from over 50 countries. 
Our podcast, Light 'Em Up, is there too. I started using it as my default podcast app, and you can too. Download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me or from the link in the podcast description liner notes and use the promo code Light 'Em Up. And Light 'Em Up in this case is spelled L, the number one. G-H-T-E-M-U-P. All one word. That's L, the number one. G-H-T-E-M-U-P. All one word.